Bible, just a couple of notes before we get going. If you like a Bible, we, we bought some, and they're on the edge of the, yeah, I know, I know, and they're on the edge of the road, just on the floor, and if you want to open uh, a Bible, you can do. We're in a, as, as Amy read to us, we're in a book called Matthew. Now, there, there are four sort of biographies at the beginning of the New Testament, that's sort of the last third of the Bible, and that's the bit that concentrates on Jesus and what he, who he was and what he did, and there's four biographies in, 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 these, uh, in this early part, of the, and they're called the Gospels, you've probably heard that word. And, uh, and, and the first one is Matthew, and Matthew's telling a story about Jesus, and we're in the last page, the last chapter, just uh, reading about Matthew, it's chapter 28. So if you want to read that with me, I'm going to refer to it, you'll be pleased to know, and, um, and uh, you, can, you can read that along with me. And before I get into that, I did forget, I omitted, we are going to be taking up an offering. So we're going to do that now, again, uh, this is part of our worship, this is part of what we do, we give, you know, the, the church has always been an extremely generous people, and in fact one of the things that sparked the growth, this wildfire growth of the church back 2,000 years ago, was its generosity, we want to participate in that as a community here at Trinity Church. Uh, so that's for us, if you pass those buckets around, you can, you can give there if you'd like to look, if you're a guest here. There's absolutely no expectation that you'd want, you'd want to do that. Do not feel any onus whatsoever. But if you're part of the family, you might want to make that part of your rip with us. Okay. Wow. Wow. Look around you. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing where we are right now? For some of you, you've been part of this, this journey since my wife and I, Amy, arrived in September the 1st last year. And that first Thursday, I don't know what day that was, I think it was a Saturday, check my facts later. That first Thursday, we gathered a few of us in our front room, we got a lovely front room, and we just began to pray, we began to pray and dream and, uh, and talk about what, we might, what this might be, what this Trinity Church thing might be. We'd given, been given some instructions by the bishop, and hey, we'd love you to come and to do this kind of thing, and in this kind of area, and we've got you this building, and all this stuff, and honestly, there, on that Thursday night, uh, in our front room, it all felt a little... Because there we were, huddled up together, there was about three or four of us, and, and maybe a few more, eight, I don't know, but it was just like, wow, this is, there's a lot here. I, just beginning to dream and, and think about what it was, but it felt a bit big. <clears throat> you know, we moved, the next Thursday some more people came, which is a relief. Some, some people showed up from our team who'd moved, and we've had team come from Durham, from Devon. Hear an amen for Devon? No, no amen for Devon. <laughs> We've got, we've got an Australian via Germany, we've got some people from London, we've got all sorts of people that have moved to be part of this, and then we started to be joined, and uh, they actually were from here, which is great, because we could learn the lingo, and it was the Ayup Miduk and all that stuff, and it was joined by some people from Nottingham, and we just sensed this momentum, this gathering sense of maybe, maybe we could one day inhabit this space that we've been given. And then we started to meet here, and we went from the sort of the sweltering confines of our front room. We had to open windows because there were like 25 people in a To upstairs, and it was, folks, frigid. Absolutely freezing. You know, however many layers you wore, it was not sufficient to guard from the frostbite. And there were those of us who were, you know, toes were amputated, I think, in the final, final event. No, it wasn't that bad. But it was cold. It was really cold. And we moved to a church, once we realized that health and safety people might have a word to say on our presence in the building, uh, <coughs> nodding at the diocesan secretary there, we, uh, we moved out, we moved out, we went to St. Barnabas, and there we've been since January, and today, here we are. Wow, what a journey it's already been, what an adventure it's been, and eight weeks ago, folks, it was no longer than eight weeks, maybe nine weeks, 
looking knowingly at this front row. We were sat upstairs with a group of people that are represented here, our project team. And the bishop had given us some orders. You say how high. And he said, eight weeks, please. I reckon you can do it in eight weeks. I want us to, he said, I want you to meet in this space. Eight or nine weeks. And we said, well, okay. And he said, well, you can do it in a tent if you like. We brought this idea to this project team. And there were a few gulps and a few gasps. But actually they said, and we said, well, let's give this a rip. Let's, get, let's give this a go. And we began talking and planning and, and dreaming. And eight weeks, nine weeks later, here we are, Easter Sunday. What a day to start a church. What a day to start a church. Here we are, our first public gathering. And, and many of you have been here along the way, and some of you have joined us just today. And thank you for doing that. Wow. And, and the story, I guess, so far has been a story of renovation. Love that word. Renovation. Renovation, renewing. That's what we've been doing. A, a lick of paint on the walls. In fact, a spray of paint on these walls. Uh, lots of paint outside. And you guys, some of you have played your part in that. We've had paint parties, which I think we're going to trademark as a brand now. It's, we've done our own paint parties, three or four of those. People have cleaned toilets and all. Renovation. But the story of Easter, of course, isn't a story of renovation. The transformation that happens at Easter is far more than renovation. It's resurrection. It's far bigger. It's a far bigger kind of transformation than, than merely some paint on the walls, than merely re- is a greater transformation still, a resurrection. Nothing compares to even, even amongst what we've seen to the transformation that happened in those events that Amy read to us. And those disciples who were at the tomb, in fact, they were both called Mary. We see this in chapter dawn on the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, t'other Mary, and t'other Mary went to look at the tomb. So we've got two Marys. Well, you've got to be asking, where are the disciples? Right? They're the ones that should be ten. Of course, we all know, we've read the story, they deserted Jesus. In his hour of need, you know, the story hadn't gone to plan. It wasn't a story of victories as as they'd anticipated. The story of Jesus, at least from those disciples' eyes, looked a lot like a story of defeat. The only people left are two faithful women. Everyone else has left. Two Marys, Mary and Tother Mary. And here they are at the tomb, tending or getting ready to tend to Jesus' body. And in the middle of it, what what are they feeling? What are they feeling? Would be feeling confused? How did it end up like this? This, this story of transformation that we were going to be a part of? You know, we, we, the, days before they'd come into Jerusalem, that the crowds had been shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the way that, in the name of the king. That's what the crowds are shouting. And then days later, the, the same people are shouting, crucify him. And Jesus, who they thought was going to put himself on a throne in Jerusalem, is crucified. His throne is a cross. Not the throne of Herod's palace or the one in the middle of the temple, but he's crucified. How did it end up like this? They've got, they've got to be feeling full of grief. Their friend, their, their lord, their leader, their, their best hope been taken from it's lost right and they do the only thing they know how to do they show up and and try and serve Jesus it's the only thing they know how to do so they come to the tomb and in the middle of this confused state in the middle of this this moment of grief they're interrupted they're interrupted what are they interrupted by we read it there was a violent earthquake 
A violent earthquake. For, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. A violent earthquake. A seismic event. A movement. A moment of power. In the middle of a, a, a garden full of tombs. A moment of power. An interruption of, of a force that had never been known up to this point since the creation of the world. A seismic event. An earthquake. Interrupting their grief. See, up until this point, it felt a lot like Good Friday. In this moment, heaven touches earth. All of God's power is released. I like to think this was the moment it happened. I have no warrant for that whatsoever. It doesn't usually stop me. But I like to think this was the moment. If the finger of God reached into the, the tomb of Jesus and raised him up, and it was like an that powerful and these women are so oh they're like taken back by this moment and it gets it gets more powerful for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven we have firstly an earthquake secondly we have an angel came down from heaven and going to the tomb maybe it was just the angel sitting on the tomb maybe that's what the earthquake was we don't know going to the tomb rolled back the stone and sat on it his appearance was like light the guards were so afraid men and then the angel says, a funny thing, given what we've just heard about the angel, don't be afraid. Easy for you to say, angel, you've got clothes like lightning. <laughs> I don't know where you got those from, but get me some for next week. So there's this moment of interruption by an earthquake of seismic power. And then the presence of this angel, everything is looking quite topsy-turvy here. We had a death, and here all of a sudden we're caught up in the midst of something quite different. An angel, and an angel carries a message, and the message is simply this. Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was not here. He's risen, just as he said. Here's the message. The message is of resurrection. A man who was dead is raised from the dead. It's really simple. The message is... It might be difficult to fathom. It might be difficult to, to get your heart around, to, even to believe. Given the, the Good Friday world, the broken, hurting, tarnished, war-filled world, the pain-filled world in which we live. But it is, it's difficult to maybe believe, but it's not difficult to understand. The message is simply this, that a man who was dead is raised from the dead. That's why we're here this morning. It's a church. And Easter is, is that message. Easter is an earthquake, a release of power. Easter is an angel coming and bearing a message that a man who was dead is no longer dead. Jesus is risen. And, and you can almost like see it playing out. Their faces are sort of... And so the angel says, okay, 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 come and see, come and see. Come and see. You need not just a message, you need some evidence. Come and see the place where he lay. So they do, they go and see it. They go and see it. There's evidence as well. There's an just talk, but there's evidence here. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you from Galilee. There you will see him. So they do. They, they go off and it says that they're, they're, they're afraid yet filled with joy. The hopelessness is now joy. And they're of the puzzle on this Easter morning. For these two, these two faithful Marys, what is it? We've had some evidence, but now we have an appearance. An appearance. Suddenly, verse 9, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Now, uh, this goes beyond then. A message. You know, if Easter is only a message, it's useless. 
If all we have as the church is, is like a metaphor here, you know. If Easter's just a metaphor, if it's just, oh, you know, good stuff happens. Oh, you know, it's just, if it's just a metaphor, it's self-help. It's useless. You can find self-help absolutely anywhere. You don't have to give up your Sunday morning for self-help. Especially wherever you are. It's got to be more than a message. There's got to be evidence, doesn't there? There's got to be evidence. And there's got to, fundamentally, there's got to be an appearance. You know, if, if Easter's going to be powerful, if it's going to have any value, enduring value today, then it's got to be possible to see this Jesus, for him to appear today. That is, that is the, the, that's the thing upon which the Christian claim, that the, the whole thing about Jesus and, and church and everything else, that's got to be judged upon on that, on those criteria. It's got to be, you've got to be able to taste and touch and see and feel it. If it's going to be of any value today. This is risen, they say. There's evidence. And they clasp his feet. And here's the thing about his feet. Where have his feet been? His feet have just been on the cross. What's distinctive about his feet? There's holes in them. And they're on their face before. And bow before. And they're holding his feet. And what do they see in his feet? Nail holes. Jesus, this Jesus. Oh, tweaked a muscle there. This Jesus has scars. He's scars. You know, this resurrection for Jesus doesn't obliterate, it doesn't gloss over his history. And the resurrection never glosses over our history either. We all come to Jesus, if we come at all, Jesus, and we come to him as scarred people. And the reason he can help interruption what is going through their heads at this moment what on earth are they thinking am I in the wrong garden <laughs> you know what are they thinking what is going this is a radical transformation we're not talking a, a few licks of paint folks like you cannot paint a dead body <laughs> right taxidermy only goes so far you know, embalming, it's not going to get somebody living and breathing and walking. This is more than a few licks of paint. We're not talking about renovation here. We're talking about resurrection here. And this resurrection makes a difference, doesn't it? Obviously, it makes a difference for Jesus. But this resurrection changes everything, not just about Jesus, but everything and everyone around him. These disciples, these two Mary, they are changed by this. They're, they were full of grief. They were full of hope, full of confusion. And all of a sudden, it says they're afraid. Yes, yeah, a different kind of fear. The kind of fear you get when you're faced with a moment that's so big, it breaks all of your understandings. It just tears them apart. It's that kind of fear. It says hopelessness turned to joy. The hopeless are given joy. The guilty are restored. You see, his disciples, the other ones that didn't even bother to show up, those disciples, full of guilt, they'd all abandoned him. And here's the thing, they said they wouldn't. You know, Peter, you may, maybe read this or heard this story before. Peter, who, Jesus said, you're going to deny me, Peter. And Peter said, ah, you watch, I won't. Got started and Peter was trotting off somewhere else. Full of guilt. They'd abandoned their best friend, they betrayed their best friend. And Jesus goes up to each one of them and gives, us a, um, gives them a moment, a possibility of restoration. 
The guilty are restored. The ashamed are freed. They all felt deep shame. They ha- not just because they'd abandoned him, but they never really... He talked about dying and rising a number of times. None of them could even get on board. They must have felt deeply ashamed, and yet Jesus gives them a fresh start, a clean slate, freedom. The fearful, oh, they were afraid. Cowering, probably most of them in a room at this moment, cowering, terrified. And they become the most courageous bunch imaginable. Ten of the eleven remaining disciples were so courageous they were willing to die for their faith. Wow. Talk about points back to an interruption. Points back to a resurrection. This event, more than just a message, it's an event. This event changes them. This event, transformation is possible because of the resurrection of Jesus. And you see, if the resurrection of Jesus happened, if it happened, then the last thing it is is just some peripheral event in human history. Yeah, that's nice for you, that sort of thing, you know, that thing that people say. Well, that's your truth and and here's mine. If the resurrection happened, I'm saying if it happened, then the last thing it is is peripheral. It cannot be peripheral. And and, and Christianity as well cannot, it's not one truth claim among other claims, among other competing claims. Well, that's your way to God and here I have mine. No. If it happened, then it's the central event in human history. All of the rents have to answer to this event because if a man was dead and then is raised from the dead as Christians claim, then that's the event. That's the event. That's the hinge of human history. That's like the Big Bang, Mark 2. That's the power. The same power behind the Big Bang is the power that raises Jesus from the dead. And it makes a difference for us if it happened. It makes such a difference for us. You see, Jesus is alive. As we say he is, as Christians have said, to live and die for for the last 2,000 or more years. If Jesus is alive, then, then Jesus can help. If Jesus is alive, Jesus can help. How can he help? Because the Jesus who is alive is with us here today. The same Jesus who stood before those women with scars in his hands and scars in his feet. He's with you. He's with us today. He's here. And if he's alive, then then he has the scars too today. And he's he's willing to show his scars to us. And we live in a world that's full of scars. And maybe you even resonate with that person. You have a life. You maybe even see areas of your life where you say, gosh, I see the pain. I see the grief. I see the absence of, every, of all my dreams I've not realized, not been realized yet. If the crucified Jesus is the risen Jesus, then that Jesus can help. And that's the same Jesus that wandered around 2,000 years ago. That same Jesus who is kind, he's the one who can help you. The same Jesus who is a God of mercy. The Jesus who is not just loving, but is love. He can help you. The Jesus who is faithful to his friends, even when they're not faithful to him, he's the one who can help you. The Jesus who is gracious to the end. The Jesus who is exhausted. He's the one who can help you. The Jesus who is patient. Beyond tolerant. Hate that word. Jesus is, is patient. He's positively loving. He wants to pour his love upon you. That's the Jesus who can help you. The Jesus who has seen the back of a tomb and come out alive. Dead man walk and help you. If Jesus is alive, Jesus can help. 
The resurrected Jesus was the suffering Jesus. He's the one who stands before each of us with his scars. If Jesus is alive, Jesus can help. If Jesus can transform. If Jesus is alive, then what he did for those disciples in putting an energy within them that could change every level of their existence, that Jesus can do that today. And that's the testimony of millions of Christians across thousands of years. People of doing that. And I know it sounds, <laughs> it sounds absurd. And by the way, to them it sounded absurd. There was no box back here in which, you know, resurrection neatly fitted. You could just tick and say, great, I've seen the resurrection today, folks. It's a good one. One of the best I've seen, Irving, that was, that was a strong one. There was an earthquake. Did I say the angel was wearing lightning? You know, there's, there's, no, like, there's no paradigm, there's no box for this. That power is available. If Jesus is raised from the dead, Jesus can transform. He can transform our Good Fridays. He can transform our hopelessness. He can bring hope. You know, Jesus can transform our guilt. He can give us a clean slate. All of our sins, because the Jesus who went to the cross for our sins is raised from, from life, from the death, from, de from death, there we go, to life for our vindication. And that we, look in, we can look into the eyes of a father. We, we don't need to fear God anymore. We can look into the eyes of God and know that there's a father there who loves us. That Jesus can transform us. He's our shame, looks into our eyes, the very thing that shame wants us not to do. We look into the eyes of Jesus and we don't see somebody who's ashamed of us. We see somebody who's proud of us. He says, this is my brother, this is my sister, this is my son, my daughter, and in them I'm well pleased. There's no need for shame. Jesus was raised from the dead. There is no need for fear. The reason we're afraid, the thing we're most afraid of is death. Jesus picks the pocket of death, it's grave. There is no need to fear. What God did for Jesus, the Father did for Jesus in raising him from the dead, he will do for us. For those who trust in Jesus in life and death, God will do that for us too. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is what the resurrection means. This is what the resurrection can do. And death, which up to this point has felt like the ultimate full stop, the end of everything, is now in the light of the resurrection of Jesus only as a comma. After which a new story is yet to be written. And what does this mean for us today? What does this mean for us? It means transformation is possible. You know, and this can come like an earthquake. For some people, transformation that Jesus brings is like an earthquake. It's like power coming down, ground is shaken, and, and everything's turned upside down like earthquakes. You know, and then for the Brit, it can be, it can be like a new dawn. Like they're here, aren't they, on the first, on the dawn, the first day of the week. And some of you... Some of you have seen dawns before. I'm not looking at any of you students. In fact, you're still out at dawn, you students, aren't you? Some of you have seen the dawn, and it's crazy, the dawn, isn't it? Because it happens really, really slowly, and then all of a sudden it's light. It's weird, isn't it? Like a, an ever-approaching thing that all of a sudden is upon you. Transformation can come like that too. Some people, it's like an earthquake. Some people, it's, like, it's just like a dawn. Just, it dawns on you. 
as the phrase goes. Transformation is possible. I want to ask you this question. In a second, we're going to listen to a piece of music that's going to be played over us. I want you to be asking this question. What would resurrection look like? An earthquake or a dawn, what would it look like in your life? What would the areas of your life be where, where if, if Jesus was raised from the dead in the middle of your life, if, if something was to be raised from the dead in the middle of your life, what would it look like? What would it look for hopelessness to be transformed, for to be changed into hope? What would it look like for guilt to no longer be a part of your story aimed of to be put to death? For you to live a shame-free existence? What would it look like for all your fears to be conquered? But it's not just for us, is it? Not just for us. We're here for this city because there's a city out there that needs a message of transformation. There's a city out there full of people who need to hear transformation, need to see it embodied, need to see it made real, made flesh and blood. Just like Mary needed to see a flesh and blood representation of life. Not just a message, but a living person. There's a world out there that needs to see a living person, needs to see a living person, Jesus, embodied and a living people, the church. That's why we're here. You know that road out there, before it was the A60, before it was Mansfield Road, it used to be called, Gall- the reason it was called Gallows Hill, because at the Rock Cemetery, which you can see from this, the front door of this building, take a look up right when you go. Cemetery, it used to be the place where the gallows were, and as you walked into Nottingham from up north, you would walk down and you would see it, it would be the first thing you would see. It defined the character, the flavor of the area, maybe even the character of the city. And you'd be led up on the back of a cart with your coffin, if you were the condemned, with your coffin by your side. You'd have your last drink at the Nags Head, the pub just beneath us. You'd pass where this church now is. And you'd go and you'd be condemned beneath where you fell. This place, this area has been characterized by death. What would it mean if the character, the flavor, not just of this area, of this city was changed? What would it mean if the mood in this city? If people, if people began to see that there was hope, there was transformation available. And it was offered to them. They, you know, an earthquake or a dawning realization, a recognition of hope, of new life. That's why we're here. That's why Trinity Church is here. Maybe, just maybe, That's why you're here this morning.